What is a public institution? And what do the policies of that public institution say about your vocation as parent? When we're particularly when we're talking about schools, what does that mean for your vocation as parent? Thanks to our friends at Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family. Find them in the sponsor section, CUW, in the sponsor section at kfuo.org. Joining me in studio today, the Reverend Todd Peppercorn, pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Rockland, California. Pastor Peppercorn, welcome back to Faith and Family. Thanks. It's great to be here. I love it when you come to St. Louis because then you and I get some time to chat. <laughs> and right. I love having you on the program. You always have something interesting to share, always insightful. And uh, I'm very grateful that you get to come to St. Louis every once in a while and, and spend some time with us. So thanks for carving out a little time for us this morning. Interesting things going on in your neighborhood. There are always, it seems. Tell us about... Rockland, California, before we get into the sure. news of what's happening there yeah, today. Yeah, Rockland is where, I, where I've served for the last six years or so, and basically it's a suburb on the east side of Sacramento. Um, it is a uh, relatively conservative community socially, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of professionals, um, a pretty diverse community in, in other ways, but um, uh, it's really a wonderful little town, about 70,000 people, something like that. I think for many Midwesterners, maybe I'm, I can't speak for everyone, but I think for some Midwesterners, when they think of California, they, they think it's probably uh, the, the, the terms progressive and, and other terms come to mind because they think, you know, it's the whole West Coast. So right. everybody must be uh, progressive because right. it's on the West Coast. The land but, of fruits and nuts, as it were. <laughs> but now but, I have found that not to be the case in Rockland. Rockland is... Um, uh, Rockland is really a pretty, a pretty conservative community, generally speaking, much more so than than I expected moving out there six years ago. That's for sure. So Rockland making some uh, the charter schools in right. Rockland making news recently here in in August September. Right, what, right. It, particularly because of. Uh, a, what was happening in the classroom, a kindergarten classroom, I think, at the end of the school year last yeah. year. So here's the so here's the story. Rockland Academy is one of the charter schools in our in our town, a couple miles from my church. And a uh, student in this kindergarten class, uh, to use the common parlance, identified as as transgendered. Uh, I don't know the child's name. And uh, and this child brought a book in to the classroom at the end of the school year. Uh, the name of the book was I Am Jazz. And the purpose of the book was basically to teach transgenderism to these kindergartners. And as you can expect, there was a lot of outcry about this. First of all, because of the topic, but probably even more so, frankly, was because there was no... Um, there was no forewarning. There was no notification of parents ahead of time. There was no communication that went out to parents after the fact. This all kind of really didn't come out in any kind of public way until, I want to say, August. So maybe a month ago, something in that neighborhood. And so our community has been struggling with what do we do with this? How do we understand this in mm -hmm. terms of children? Um, how do we understand the role of parents in this process in public education? Um, we've had a there have been public forums. There's been a, a really a lot of uh, a lot of heat. First of all, on the topic, and then second of all, on what role do parents play in public education? So that's really the issue that's been been put us on the map lately. 
And what has this meant? What does this mean for the school, for those who guide the direction of the school, for the the directors or or whatever the guiding um, governing? Yeah, it's a good, the school that's a good is. question. And this is a charter school. So this is a choice school. Um, no one's uh, no one is obligated to go there. And I think that's a part of what has made this uh, a, an interesting and challenging case for people is that charter schools really are premised much more than regular public schools on parental choice and on parental involvement. And this past Monday or this Monday or a week ago, Monday, I'm not sure. Uh, the school board ruled that uh, that the these topics will continue to be discussed in the classrooms, um, and that teachers will endeavor to announce to parents in advance when controversial topics are coming up, and if they can't do it in advance, they will notify them after the fact. Um, but the really interesting challenge was that children or parents do not have the option of opting out of controversial subjects. So that's really where uh, where the current flap is, is, okay, so now what does it mean to be a parent? It was my place? understanding that they do have the, they can opt out of, uh, I believe it was uh, sex ed. Yeah, I think correct? so as a general, right, as kind of mm-hmm. a category. Remember, we're talking in this specific classroom, we're talking about kindergartners. Um, and I think that you're right on that. But the kind of the premise is that when the school addresses controversial topics, social social topics, that a parent does not have the option to simply say, no, we're not going to address that topic with our child. Um, and that's really the current, I, I think, the where a lot of the anxiety comes from is, so then what does it mean to be a parent? And I think that as, as Christians, I have two daughters that go to public schools and I have two daughters that go to a parochial school. Um, as, as parents, this really kind of um, hits home pretty hard because it's always a weird there but not there kind of in but not of case when we're talking about public schools and Christians. Uh, but if I as a parent feel like I don't really even have any say on what's going on in the classroom, not not directively, not even, you know, I don't agree with this and therefore and therefore my child isn't going to participate. Well, that that is really putting us in a very tricky place vocationally. Or, or I think as a parent, it would raise the question of when I talk about this. One would hope so. When will I talk about this? When will we begin teaching our child about what happens in the world around us? Certainly, we teach them throughout their entire lives about what's happening in the world around them, whether they're things that 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 we agree with or that we support or do not support we still teach them about what's going on in the world around them the question is when do we at what point do right. we introduce when, each of at these what con- items at what con- in what context does that take right. place kind of all of those questions yeah and that's um and because this specifically is such a delicate subject mm-hmm. and you're talking about a very young age kindergartner you know 6 years old 7 years old um Frankly, most parents are, are pretty uncomfortable talking about sex and sex ed with their children at any age, in my experience. Um, and so to deal with this is a whole nother level of of challenge and kind of forces parents. Now, uh, this is this is how I'm trying to think about this, is that we can't we as Christians kind of kind of look at this and 
and uh, figure out how we can be righteously indignant about it and get mad and kind of do all of these things. We're really good at that, of course. But I really want to approach this from the perspective of, so how do, how do I, as a Christian, use this as an opportunity to teach my child about creation, about how God has made the world, you know, thinking of Luther's first article, I mm-hmm. believe that God has made me. <laughs> and, and so to use it as an opportunity to talk about how God has created me as a human being, as a person, that these are my, this is my body that God has given me. It's a gift. Um, and, and kind of even highlight my role as someone who is created not as a creature, because you're talking about a very different view of what it means to be human. And interesting, and that, yeah. and that kind of, uh, I think that that gives us an opportunity to highlight something that's wonderful and beautiful, that I am not a computer program. You can't just kind of go into my programming and delete 10 lines and then decide that I'm going to have three arms instead of two. You know, this isn't Minecraft. <laughs> um, but but that rather God has made me in this way for this purpose in order to love and serve my neighbor, uh, which a, is great. But perhaps a very different worldview than what is more commonly held by many, including those who are who are both teaching and those who are um, governing or, or serving as administration for uh, many schools. I'm not, I'm not speaking on, you know, about all public schools. No, uh, not at all. My, my, I, I don't want to demonize anyone by any means, but when we have differing and, and sometimes clashing worldviews, what does that mean then for me as a parent or for, uh, for my child in that school? I, I think that that's the pickle. And we have, uh, I, Christians have moved into a position where we are, we think of ourselves as being on the defensive culturally. We think of ourselves as kind of entrenched that we're the old fashioned, old school, and that, you know, this new wave is coming in and that we have to kind of settle in. You know, this is like World War One <laughs> kind of mindset. And I would I would contend that we need to think about this in a very different way. That we need to think of this as I'm going to teach my children the way that God has actually created us, not the way that the world may look at it, but that the way that God has actually made us and that this is a gift and that this is good for men and women, boys and girls. And that as such, um, I don't have to be afraid. And and so I, I want to try to teach this. And this is how I've, I've tried to do it in my own congregation. I don't have any any uh, members of my congregation at this particular school, to my knowledge. But um, I have tried teaching this with our families and continue to do so to see see this in a positive light as an opportunity to confess who we are and not as something to get defensive and angry about. Now, it's very easy to say, but that's much harder if you're a seven-year-old mm-hmm. and kind of trying to get that into your head. So, so Or a five or a six-year-old. Right, or... A 30 year old honestly this is we we just kind of default to a defensive position at, where we get angry and and everything very quickly and and I think that as Christians we have to work very hard 
at not seeing these things as something to apologize for, but as something to rejoice in. It is a gift that God has made us as we are. It's not a, it's not a curse. <laughs> it's not a, it's not even a weakness, not in that, not in that sense. So that, so that gives us the opportunity as parents to approach these things proactively. So teach our children proactively about creation this as you were talking about earlier teaching them about um who they are from the first article yep. certainly you know are in terms of uh first article things that the god has given them this body entrusted this uh to them what what then how do you teach that a particularly young child about other world views that they're going to encounter particularly in the classroom right Right. Well, How do we prepare them for that? If if this is the case, this is you know we're speaking about just one school right now, but this this it can happen in any school, right? And will I mean, and this will continue to go. This is not the first time that an incident like this has happened in the country. I think the last the last one that got public, kind of some public hearing, was in Minnesota, um, and this will hardly be the last time. I think this will become more and more common. Uh, this also gives us the opportunity to teach something else, and that is uh, the difference between disagreeing with somebody um, and hating somebody. That I, as a Christian, don't have to see other people as the same as me in order to like them, and I don't. And if someone is different than me, and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about race or color or or ethnicity or how they understand their gender or any of these things that God has called me to love my neighbor and to care for my neighbor in whatever way and place that may be. That doesn't mean that I have to think that everything that they do is right. Now, I think that that's something that a five-year-old can understand. And I mean, just very, very practically, I have four children. Um, I am here to tell you that four children living together in the same house do not always like each other. <laughs> this is not some sort of this great is surprise. Breaking news. Right, breaking news. Siblings don't always get along. What? <laughs> and yet, uh, and so we actually have in, in many households kind of a built in training ground for teaching uh, teaching the fact that if I have a conflict between with one of my siblings, uh, the question is not whether I liked what they did or agreed with what they did. The question isn't even whether I was right and they were wrong or they were right and I was wrong. The question is, how do I, how do I love my neighbor? How do I serve my neighbor in this place at that time? And then to expand that out into the rest of the world. Does that, does that make sense, Andy? Yes, and I think that also leaves room for... Not only just a, a a bold confession, but also an opportunity for witness That's right. to my neighbor. That's right. Who has a, a, a very different confession, a very different worldview. Um, it it doesn't put up such a an instant solid wall that prevents me from uh, opportunities to speak the the truth, the word of God, that they might hear the word of God. That's right. In love. In love. And, and that, yeah. that does not have to be, we don't have to think of everything as a battle. That our, um, that our, our approach with our neighbor is one of, of love and care and recognizing our common humanity. Sometimes even when they don't recognize 
when they don't recognize it. You know, if I, um, I've been on this show other times talking about mental illness and, and many other things. And one of the, uh, one of the common character traits with mental illness and working with people with mental illness is that very often they don't recognize it themselves, that they don't, they don't understand their own, uh, their own brokenness. Hmm. And that doesn't mean that I turn my back on them. That doesn't mean that, that I hate them. That means, that means that they're broken and that they need Jesus. Welcome to earth, thou noble guest. <laughs> that's kind of all of us. That's what, yeah, that's what all of us deal right, with. Right, and that's what we do. And, um, and, and so it doesn't matter what, what the child or the child's parents' sexual orientation is. They're still broken, uh, broken sinners, just like we are, in need of care. Now, I think the challenge as a parent is I have a vocation to... Uh, to love and care for and direct and guide my own children and to and to not allow allow isn't quite the right word but to direct them in understanding what is good and right and virtuous and not a, and not allow loving neighbor meet to mean uh, accepting whatever they do is right that those things do not equate and that is and that is a challenge no doubt about it um, but it's a challenge that we all face every day. And the sooner that we kind of can have those conversations with our children and can be thinking about those things uh, together, the better it's going to be. How do you, right, how do you teach your child that they can, the world teaches us that if you disagree with someone, then the one with whom you disagree with is your enemy. If right. You vilify them. Right. Just by disagreeing with them, right? I'll I'll call that the Facebookization of the world, <laughs> and and honestly, that's kind of how we do discourse today. And this is one of our one of our big challenges, one of our big problems, is that we have gotten to a mindset where if I can't convince you in 140 characters or less that my position is right, then I've written you off. Then I then you're of no use to me at all. And that's nonsense. That's just total nonsense. The world does not. And if the world works that way, we need to fix it. <laughs> the, the, my favorite one that I've heard lately was, uh, I'll, I, I'll be right there. Someone is being wrong on the Internet. Yes, exactly. And I have to deal with it. Exactly. And so, and, and look, I, I have small, I have children. I, I get the challenge with this. And, and that my, um, my instinct as a father, and at one level, my desire as a father is to protect and maybe even insulate my own children from uh, from having to deal with any of these things at all. Um, the fact is, the reality is, is that they're not going to be insulated from them. Uh, at what age and to what degree and in what way, uh, we as parents have to have to be wise and intentional, I would suggest, about how those things take place but we can't simply uh say okay my children aren't gonna aren't gonna know about any of these things and i'm gonna hide them until they're 18. i have the opportunity as a parent to teach them and guide them as they're living while they're with me in my house and while they'll still listen to and you. while they're still <laughs> listen you got it um and so that and that means, in part, thinking through very carefully, all right, well, let's talk about the fifth commandment. Let's talk about the sixth commandment. Let's, let's kind of get these things in place, and let's tie them to uh, Jesus, who became man, 
and the incarnation and that God coming down as an infant, as a not as a genderless amorphous mass, but as as a as a man, as a specific person with real body parts that sheds real blood, we uh, it, it is not that hard to tie this into the gospel and recognize the very concreteness that is coming coming toward us. How do we how do we teach our children and how we teach our children about these um, these issues, different worldviews, different uh, uh, understandings of who we are? You know, children say some funny things, especially when they they're repeating us. Yep. I, I'm I, I'm just picturing how important it is to uh, to teach our children in a way that, um, well, for example, that little Johnny doesn't say to the neighbor, "My daddy says I should love you, even though your life is an abomination." Right. Yes. Exactly. How do we do this in a way? And and as parent, as adults. Uh, we can very quickly kind of uh, devolve into, I'll say, we very quickly objectify people and, and, and work very hard to make people with whom we disagree less than human. And when we make them less than human, what we're doing is we're turning them into something that Jesus didn't die for, because then it's easier for me to hate them, frankly. So, and and so treating my mm-hmm. neighbor, whomever that may be, as a human being, a broken human being, just like I'm a broken human being, but treating them as people and not as objects is uh, is a hugely important thing. A person for whom Christ died. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, but that is um, that is not an easy task. And so you've got. Kind of how do I how do I work these things with my own children? I also think you have the question of how do I do this in love with other parents? How do I, as the parent of a child in a public school, um, voice my concern in a way that is uh, that is both loving but also virtuous and right? Um, I think that that's a challenge too, and and going into a situation just. Again, thinking about this current situation uh, and asking, okay, so how do I how do I articulate my concern about this and say, well, I don't think you should teach this because this is contrary to the doctrine of creation and against the sixth commandment, the fifth commandment, and a few other things, because the public school that's not their charter, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not their job. I did, kind of don't want it to be their job because they'd probably mess it up. Um, but but rather uh, to to approach them from the perspective of this is how we are made as human beings. And so to, if, if I am teaching a child that uh, their body parts are interchangeable, I'm changing what it means to be human. That's, that's a, that's a big hairy deal. But, but I think that we have an opportunity to challenge some of these prevailing worldviews in a way that can be positive. That perhaps can lead to, Meaningful dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. God willing. And and it might lead to um it might lead to suffering. I mm-hmm. don't know. Um that's kind of not our job to uh, to determine the the outcome, but to as God gives us light to speak the truth, to to uphold both to our own children first of all. Um, and to our neighbors, what is both right and a loving and forgiving God who comes to restore 
this fallen creation. Just about a minute left. What do you say to parents who are facing questions uh, regarding, you know, the, their their education? Maybe they don't have a lot of options, a lot of choices for education for their children, uh, and, and they're they're faced with questions regarding what's being taught in the schools where they uh, where they're sending their child to to learn. Well, where where I would go with that is first of all, come talk to me. Let's talk about it and. And and have a conversation about how to how to approach this with your own children first. Um, I'm not interested in starting some sort of campaign to change uh, to change. That's not my vocation as a pastor, not as I see it, at least. Um, but rather to let's have conversation. Let's gather some parents together and have a talk about about parenting children uh, together. I think that we actually. Um, we treat being parents as as kind of lone rangers way too often and and forget that oh i'm not the first person who's ever struggled with these things before pastor todd peppercorn pastor of holy cross lutheran church in rockland california thank you so much for being my guest today quite a topic and uh, i appreciate your insights on it my pleasure thanks for having me coming up in just a little bit what are the creeds How did we get the creeds? Why is it important to have a creed? You're listening to Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO.